0: We are on week 28, I believe, of the New City Catechism. And as our tradition, I will read the question and then together we will read the response. What happens after death to those not united but to Christ by faith? At the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them they will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that as we just sang, we have been washed by his blood. And because of that, those who know, love, and follow your son Jesus do not have to worry about being cast out of your presence forever lord we thank you and lord we are an undeserving people father we do not deserve the grace and mercy that you have given us but because you are so loving and caring for us father that you sent your son to take our place and through our faith and trust in him and his finished work lord we know that we are secure forevermore and I just pray that we would live our lives to show that Uh, let us be an example to those who do not yet know you so that they may see in us and that we may be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us just as your word says and father I just pray that regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in in our daily lives uh, that you would help us to remain steadfast as your word says immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Father, many of us have suffered loss recently or know those who have lost someone close to them. Uh, Father, we, uh, we may be facing financial hardships or problems with work or just uh, relational problems. Father, you Your Son told us that in this world we will have tribulation. That should not come as a surprise to us, and it certainly is not a surprise to You, but I just pray that we would Be of good cheer, knowing that our Savior has overcome the world. And let us live in that joy and peace and that comfort, uh, knowing that. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you would be with Lloyd as he comes up in a moment and teaches us uh, from the book of Jonah, that we would be receptive and your Holy Spirit would teach us, Father, as you promised. We thank you and we love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three to fives are dismissed to go with the Huberties.
1: Our scripture reading today will be from Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Jonah 2, 1 through 10. This is the word of God. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
2: Uh, This morning, we're continuing our study of the minor prophets. And I have the privilege of dealing with the only minor prophet who appears in the Children's Storybook Bible. Uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with the story, everyone knows the story of Jonah. before we dig in, I want to make a few points. First, uh, Jonah was a real man. He's referred to in 2 Kings 14, and it calls him a prophet. It calls him a servant of the God of Israel and says he spoke the word of the Lord. Now, there are many ways to approach this book. Uh, it's a book on missions. We can go that direction because God makes a promise to Abraham that he wants to bless all the nations of the earth and through Jonah we see that now that theme doesn't become prominent in scripture until later in the New Testament but it's it's there throughout the Old Testament when we, when we look carefully and it's certainly here in Jonah um, it's a book on cultural and ethnic tensions um, the story exists the, the big driver is the fact that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh if, if that isn't there There's really, well, it drives the whole story, Uh, his uh, passion against uh, the Ninevites. He correctly saw the Ninevites as opposed to God and his people. Now, he believed in the certainty of judgment by God and was quite happy for that judgment to come. Uh, His plan for peace basically boiled down to God wiping out his enemies and then everything would be great. Um, we'll keep all these elements in the back of our mind. Missions, ethnic tensions, they're, they're big. But I, I want to walk through the text this morning and, and highlight a couple of aspects of, of God's character or attributes. You know, we're doing those on Wednesday nights that I think are prominent in, in this book. Uh, and they are God's sovereignty and God's mercy. Um, the story begins, according to Jonah 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Everything begins with God. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And God said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital of a country called Assyria. Be about where uh, modern-day Iraq is. Uh, now, about the same time, the prophet Amos is warning the people of Israel that Assyria is going to come and, and and wipe them out because Israel had turned away from God. So God was telling Jonah to preach repentance to a nation that was going to be an enemy of Israel. Jesus told us to love our enemies, and one of the ways we do that is to plead with them and re- to repent and turn to God. Now, how does God? How, how does Jonah respond to God's command? There's a lot of movement in the book of Jonah, and it's helpful to pay attention to the direction of that movement. Jonah's movement, particularly, uh, you know the story. After God's command, instead of going east to Nineveh, I guess east is that way. Uh, east to Nineveh, he. Uh, He went west, headed a ship that was heading, going to Tarshish. But there's more than east and west. In verse 3, it says Jonah went down to Joppa. And then he went down into a ship. And in verse 5, it says he has gone down into the inner part of the ship. And then he laid down, down to Joppa, down to the ship, down to the inner part of the ship and then lay down. Doesn't sound like he can get much lower, huh? Uh, we'll see where that goes. Now, why did he do all this? Well, the text in verse three says he wanted to go away from the presence of the Lord. Remember that phrase. It, it comes up in Scripture. In Genesis three, Adam and Eve after they had sinned, after they had sinned, they hid themselves. From the presence of the Lord. Now that's the universal response. What we do when we sin, we want to hide. Now Psalm 139 uh, makes it very clear that that's not a good plan. Um, Verse 7 through 10 Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So going away from the presence of the Lord, trying to hide, not a good plan. It's another effect of sin. It makes us stupid. We do things like that, like we can hide. back to our story. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. This is the first instance in the book where very casually the sovereignty of God is highlighted. We, we speak in terms of higher high pressure systems and tropical disturbances and no that's that's not what's going on here. God is very casually directing a wind against the ship so that it threatens to break up. Well, in response to God's hurling of a wind, the sailors do some hurling of their own. And in verse 5, they hurl the cargo that was in the ship. But their efforts are no match for God. And so the sailors roust Jonah. And they ask him to pray to his God, saying, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, can you imagine what's going through Jonah's mind? Oh, you guys want mercy from God as well? Notice he doesn't say anything. He just... They they say, hey, pray, do something. So, they do something. They cast lots. And what do you know? The lot falls on Jonah. Uh, This is another instance demonstrating... God's sovereignty. Proverbs sixteen thirty three says, "The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord." This is staggering. God controls every roll of dice. You believe that? I'll bet at that moment Jonah did. I am sure when lock him up, he says, "God, you did this," and God was saying, "Yes, yes, I I did that." But Jonah is proud. He's indignant. First, he tells them he's a Hebrew and he worships the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Yeah, it's a little humble brag. My God is bigger and better than your sorry God who can't get you out of a storm. But he goes on, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Okay, he says, perhaps I can't run away from God, but I can't preach to the Ninevites if I'm dead. So we're on to plan B, throw me into the sea. I'll show him. The sailors don't wanna do it and they are desperate, but they do hurl him into the sea and then two miracles happen. First, the sea ceased from raging. That's amazing. God is sovereign over the wind and the waves. The second miracle is more profound. Look, verse uh, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These guys got saved. Heaven was rejoicing. That's what happens when people get saved. Whenever someone turns to God, it's a miracle. And when we pray for those we love to come to Christ, we are praying for a miracle. Here we see Jonah's disobedience being used by God to further his plan for the children of Abraham to be a blessing to all peoples. Now, at one level, it would make sense for the book to end right there. God gave a command. Jonah disobeyed, and so he, he gets thrown into the sea. That's the end of Jonah. It's very tidy, and it kind of makes an intuitive sense to us, you know? Uh, do what God says, or that's the end of it. But that's not the end of the chapter, uh, let alone the end of the story. Look at verse 17, just hanging there all by itself at the end of the chapter. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here we see sovereignty and mercy working together. We've seen the mercy of God already to the sailors who've been saved, not only from drowning, but to eternal life. But here God is directing a part of his creation to do his bidding so that Jonah doesn't die. Now, thanks, Michaela, for reading the prayer. It's worthwhile to focus on this prayer that jo- Jonah offered while he was in the belly of a fish. The first thing to note is that this prayer refers to another prayer. He begins by saying, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Verse 5 says, the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. And in verse 7, it says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So when Jonah talks about his distress, he's talking about drowning in the water, not being inside the fish when he says that God answered me in verse 2, he's still in the fish. Now, what does this mean? Jonah was guilty of disobeying God, and he knew he deserved to die. On the ship, he seemed prepared to accept his fate. But the moment when death was in his face, he cried out to God. (sighs) A God that, uh, in verse in chapter 4, is, is described as a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And so he had no claim on the mercies of God. But he prayed, and God saved him. God answers the prayers of his children who call on him for mercy. This prayer is not coming from the good child. It's it's from the child who is disobedient and rebellious. Now, some of us are like Jonah. We're disobeying God, and we know we deserve his punishment, his wrath. Don't let that prevent you from crying out to God. Listen to Psalm 107, verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. We call on God because of his mercy. We don't call on God because what we have done. Make mercy the basis of your prayers and requests to God. We can also see more about God's sovereignty from this prayer. Notice what Jonah says about how he got into the water very clear in chapter 1 that the sailors hurled him into the water. But in uh, his prayer, he says, For you cast me into the water, into the heart of the seas. The sailors did hurl them, but they had were doing what God appointed. Now, we, we always want to know, how does this all work out? The Bible doesn't explain it. It just assumes it and moves on. It's important for us to be biblical in our thinking. We're responsible for our choices. God is in charge of everything. God is in control. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty nine, not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father. God is over every single incident that happens under heaven. Even if we are being disciplined by God, that should never be a reason not to call on him for deliverance. God gets our attention through affliction and uses it so that we call on him. Look, too, at the circumstances when he called out to the Lord. Things could not get any worse. He's guilty of serious disobedience. God sent great wind and waves on the sea. John, Jonah was not only in the sea, but the weeds were wrapped around his head. How awful. That'd be ter- Terrifying. How could circumstances get any worse? They couldn't. It's clear there's no way out. Then look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's in the water, He's at the bottom of the sea, touching the roots of the mountains, it says. But as prayer finds God in his holy temple, a contrast, God is not panicked. He's not worried. We need to remember as God's children that every moment and every day, God is on his throne in his holy temple, directing all that happens. God can deliver when we can't see a way out. Our circumstances are never too hard for God, and God provides at just the right time. God is never late. So God did save Jonah because he's merciful. God answers when we cry to him for his mercy, and we all know because he sent a big fish, probably a whale. But think about it. We know how this story turns out, Jonah did not know it. He's just in the fish. God doesn't always deliver us all at once. I'm sure that being swallowed by a great fish wasn't what Jonah had in mind when he cried out. But even though he wasn't on land, Jonah recognized that he had been delivered from drowning. This brings another point. God saves his people so that we will praise him for his mercy. Consider what Jonah said in his prayer. Verse two, I called out to the Lord and he answered me. Verse six, I went down to the land whose bars closed up me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God. Verse nine, salvation belongs to the Lord. All of this is coming from inside the fish remember nothing else remember that last line salvation belongs to the lord this is a statement of fact and and it's a it's also praise jonah knew he'd been spared death and he praised god for it he's still in the belly of the fish but he's praising god whatever your situation there is something to praise god for if you are hanging on by a thread Praise the Lord for the thread. Now, you see, God answers his people so that they will praise him for his mercy. This is the reason we exist, to praise God, to give glory to God. If you've ever read the, the unabridged version of Robinson Crusoe, it's a famous verse, and he kind of it, it orients the, the story uh, Psalm 5015, it says, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This is the pattern. Call upon me, I will deliver you and then you will glorify me. This theme is all over the Bible. In Romans 15, 9, Paul says that Christ came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. There we go. Now, how does this all affect Jonah? He is glorifying God here in chapter 2. But we're only halfway through the book, and we know how the story goes. At the end of chapter 2, we see God's sovereignty again as the fish spits Jonah onto dry land. The Lord directs Jonah to go to Nineveh once again, and this time he goes. Now we don't know where this fish spit Jonah on. To the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. But if Jonah landed in what is now Lebanon, that would have been the closest place to to Nineveh. And uh, Nineveh is about where Mos- Mosul, I know, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, Iraq is. And it's just under 500 miles from Lebanon to Nineveh. My point that that getting to Nineveh would have taken some time. Jonah would have had ample time to reflect on all that had happened. He would have known that disobeying God was pointless. But not disobeying is a different thing than being happy to do what God wants. He gets to Nineveh and announces the city will be overthrown. Now, it's hard to believe after all he'd been through and all this long journey to Nineveh that he only said one sentence, but there is not a lot of fluff in his sermon. Here's the entirety of it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's his message. Okay, God, I've done it. Done what you told me to do. 40 days. Here's the thing. The people of Nineveh repent. God's sovereignty and mercy are working together. Even the king humbles himself and leans on the mercy of God. And so at the end of chapter 3, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, and God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. God's mercy extends beyond Israel. That's good news for us. We're included. Briefly, I want to talk about something we went through on one of the Wednesday nights. We're talking about immutability. We're saying, hey, how can this be? God says he's going to bring disaster, and then he doesn't. Did, Did God change? And we say, oh, God doesn't change. What does that mean? Well, immutability means that God doesn't change, but it's a mistake to think of God as stuck in some sort of frozen pose, that God is immutable means that he is always faithful to his own character and word. He is firm, but he is not unfeeling. God is always responding to his people. He responds when they sin, and he responds when they repent. Morally, God is fixed and faithful to his character, but he is continually in motion in response to his people. Well, what about Jonah? God's not finished with Jonah yet. In chapter 4, Jonah sees that God is having mercy on the people of Nineveh and is very angry. Jonah had done what God wanted, but God had not done what Jonah wanted. Does that ever happen to you? It happens in the Bible with some frequency. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh, Moses says exactly what God told him to and everything got worse. And Moses has this great prayer, ending it with, I did what you told me to and you have not helped your people at all. Obeying God does not mean your life is going to go swimmingly. Could get worse. But back to Jonah. The problem with Jonah is that he didn't care a whit about the people of Nineveh. He preached, they repented, but when God relented, Jonah felt betrayed. And what does he do? He did what we all do. He justified his actions. We've already seen that he prayed was in the water. He prayed when he was in the water. And in chapter two is the prayer when he was in the fish. Here's another prayer in chapter four. But in this one, he's not asking for deliverance or praising God for his mercy. Rather, in this prayer, he tries to justify his former disobedience. Look at it in verse 2, chapter 4. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Sure, I disobeyed, but I had my reasons, and let's face it, I was basically right. Then he goes on to say, I wish I was dead. He he, he uses how God discloses his character in Exodus 34 that gracious and compassionate, he tries to use those words against God. See, you're gracious and compassionate. I told you. Now, I wish I was dead. Now, at one level, we can read the book of Jonah, and it's, it's very foreign to us. Our experience with sailing in whales is, is rather limited. Uh, we don't know any Ninevites. And Jonah, well, he's different. He's, he's not like us. We give money. Uh, to send missionaries to unreached people groups. And of course, we pray that all will come to repentance. So perhaps Jonah's attitude is because he isn't as nice and as spiritual as us. I doubt it. Every one of us knows individuals and sometimes groups of people uh, who have hurt us. And so we find comfort in the biblical injunction, leave room for God's wrath. And so we make as much room as possible. And we're never going to clutter things up by praying for them or moving towards them with the gospel. Yeah, we're quite satisfied with a turn or burn approach to evangelism that's more interested in assuaging our conscience than it is concerned for the souls of these people. God is not like that. God deals kindly with Jonah. He asks him, do you do well to be angry? And he shows mercy to this opinionated prophet, Jonah, this poor pitiful prophet. He really has been through a lot, hasn't he? He's sitting on a hill in the sun hoping to witness God's judgment. But instead of sending judgment, God sends a plant, a big weed, to give Jonah some shade. Jonah, you need to cool down a bit. I'm gonna send some shade. And so he provides some comfort while Jonah watches and fumes that Nineveh is not destroyed. Then God sends a worm that eats the plant and takes away Jonah's shade. Notice again, the sovereignty of God that weeds and worms are doing his bidding. The sun rose high and God sent a scorching east wind and Jonah grew faint. He asked God to die because the plant was gone. God responds, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And that's how the book ends. That's the question. Should God pity our enemies? Each week... We, we refer to the what is the gospel booklets. And Brian did again this morning. I was really hoping you'd do that. So, um, read them. Become familiar with them. But you would not be wrong to summarize that booklet as God took pity on his enemies. While we were enemies, Christ died for us well we can say I'm, I'm i'm glad god god did that but i i just can't then then you are like jonah and you and i are in disobedience when we act this way jesus said in luke 636 be merciful even as your father is merciful Some of us want to know, what is the will of God? Well, the will of God for you is that you become a merciful person. Remember when the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? His goal was to nail down the the borders of his obligations. Now, Jesus responded with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The point of that parable is he wanted to turn the lawyer into a merciful person, not one with clear lines. Now, what about Jonah? Did his heart ever become tender? I, I, I believe it did, and let me share why I think that. Well, first of all, we, we have the book of Jonah. In the text, he is a proud and hard man, He doesn't have much use for other people and would prefer to be left alone. What he knows about God is absolutely correct, but it doesn't warm his heart or make him tender to other people. But much of the information in the book could only come from Jonah. There was no one else in the belly of the fish or on the hill outside of Nineveh to hear what Jonah said. No, only Jonah and God knew all that transpired. So the record we have is of a proud and petty man, and that record comes from Jonah himself. He airbrushed nothing. Rather, I think he goes out of his way to portray himself as wicked. Twice he portrays himself in the same way as Cain, the first real bad guy in the Bible, who murdered his brother Abel. Why did he want to go to Tarshish? Because he wanted to go where Genesis 4 says Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. And then in the last chapter, God asked him, do you will to be angry? That echoes the God's question to Cain about being angry. I believe Jonah repented of his stubbornness and his hardness of heart, and he told his story without holding anything back. The only way that could happen was if his understanding of God and himself changed. Instead of being upset that the Lord has mercy on sinful people, he saw himself as a sinner and needing the Lord's mercy. No doubt Jonah prayed again for deliverance, but not about wind and waves and whales and worms, but from a hard heart that valued shade more than mercy on thousands who didn't know their right hand from their left. Perhaps we're more like Jonah in the story than we want to admit. We know we should be merciful, but when certain others face difficulty, our impulse is to say, they, they deserved it. It's a very dangerous attitude. God saves us to make us more like his son, our wonderful, merciful Savior. If it is not our desire to be a merciful people, then we need to be cautious in our confidence about whether God has really saved us. There's a final point I want to make. We're looking at the book of Jonah, and we've been talking about the story of Jonah. Look more closely. Who's doing the acting here? It is God. God calls Jonah to go and preach. God sends a great wind. God causes the mighty waves. According to Jonah, God cast him in the water. God closes the water over him. God appointed a great fish to swallow him. God told the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. And God told Jonah to go and preach. And when he preached, it says the people of Nineveh believed God. So God was preaching through Jonah. And God granted repentance to the people of Nineveh. And later on, God granted repentance to Jonah. This book is about, like all the books of the Bible, it's about God. Jonah is a supporting character. Salvation is from the Lord. In God's story, Jonah is a sign pointing to Jesus. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Salvation is possible for us because Jesus really died and spent three days in the grave and rose again. But that is not the end of the story. So don't lose heart. All of our circumstances are shaped by God. God wants us to cry out to him for mercy. In the midst of our painful circumstances, he will deliver his children in His time and in His way, and He will do it so that we will praise Him for His mercy. He is preparing our hearts so that we will always be able to fully enjoy the mercy He has shown to us in Christ. Let me pray. Father, this is such an amazing story. Uh, We can walk away thinking it's about something else, but Lord, it's about mercy and, and that is about our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are continually growing in our understanding and delight in the mercy you have shown us through Christ. We thank you for giving us this word and I pray that it would not fall on fallow ground, but it, we would hear it, take it in, And it would bear fruit in our lives for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Will you stand and sing with us?